All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast. Um, I, we normally, I don't try to mention dates a whole lot because I want these individual episodes to be relevant regardless, but this happens to be Monday, January 4th, the first Monday back and into the new year. And I'm excited for this uh, for multiple reasons. And I'll get to that in just a second. But I do want to remind everybody that we are sponsored by Photographer's Edit, custom post-production for the professional photographer. We are ready to handle your editing this year. So make sure to check out Photographer's Edit if you haven't already. And then Milu, which is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for your clients, for the events that you're photographing. It's M-I-I-L-U.com. So you can check that out as well. I am super privileged to actually have with me a brand new guest today and a wonderful way to start off the new year, John Branch the Fourth. John, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Hello, hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, and we've we've talked about this a little bit on and off about doing this this episode um, over the last, I don't know, maybe six months or so, maybe a little bit longer. I'm excited that we finally get to make this happen. And again, yeah. it's a wonderful way to, to kick off the year. I really appreciate you making time for all of us. I, I've had a lot of respect for the YouTube content that you've been creating for some time now. And we're going to actually get into that in a little while. Talk about how to create a stream of revenue with a YouTube channel. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But you also happen to be a super talented photographer. So we're going to also dig into your photography business. And maybe we can just jump right in if you're okay with awesome. it. Um, let's talk about brand position. This is something we mention a lot on the podcast. What is your business's brand position or the unique value proposition you offer to your market as a photographer? I think, so I sat down and thought about it and I think it just has to come with my kind of unique take on being personable. Okay. I just really like my clients and couples to feel like a friend to me. And, you know, I've heard some photographers mention this, but I also understand the, um, I guess, how easy it can be to, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm saying this for myself too, how easy it can be to, to at least want to be personal, but then ultimately kind of go into a, a robotic mode where, you know, we know the things that have to be done. We can put on a smile and be nice. How do you, how do you go beyond just what needs to be done and, and actually be truly personal with your clients? I think the biggest thing for me, at least, is making sure that I treat my clients less like a client. And that doesn't mean to give them, you know, a worse client experience, but more so, again, as a part of my family or as a close friend of mine, even if it's the first time I'm meeting them. That stuff is extremely important to me to make sure that even though I'm going through the same process, and that's kind of the same as a wedding photographer, I do the exact same thing. But because it's a new person, it's their family they're my friends, quote unquote, I treat it with more authenticity than I would with going, okay, you know, let's go through the process. That makes sense. So, I mean, I, I guess a lot of it is just being intentional about creating this experience. And we're going to actually talk a lot more exactly. about this idea as it relates to your video content here in just a little bit, because I certainly sense um, a consistency and genuine kindness from you, whether I've, I've talked to you in person or I'm seeing mm -hmm. you on your, your YouTube channel there's just, there's consistency there. And I, I have to say, that's not always the case in the photography industry, especially with those that are kind of out in front of the industry, the, the so-called celebrities, if you will, you kind of get one version at one time. And unfortunately, yeah. maybe <laughs> another version, another time, uh, you seem super consistent. I have a lot of respect for that. So we'll, we'll talk more about that here in just a little bit, but 
I want to get to the next question. Talk to me, and we're talking about customer experience. What has been one of the most important principles for you behind providing a wonderful customer experience? The main thing, and it, it fits along with the genuineness, but it's also just putting my all and putting in better than I can. Um, I kind of call it like a spirit of excellence. Like everything has to be at least 100, 110% that I do for my clients or customers. So I don't skimp on anything I do, basically. And this may be projecting a little bit, but I, I know that in wanting to give my clients a positive experience, I, I do it largely because I enjoy having that experience in the other side of a business myself, right? So I, exactly. I've had that experience. I want to give that same feeling to somebody else. Is that, does that hold true for you? Where does this drive come from? Yeah, you know, that that probably is it. I never really sat down and thought about it, but I am the type of person who doesn't mind paying a little bit more for quality or, you know, like you get first class because it's nicer or you fly because you don't have to drive for 10 hours. I don't mind spending the extra money for a great experience. So I, I do think it kind of lines up in that as well. Whereas I like to, I guess, treat myself. I also want to treat others to the yeah. same standard that I like to treat myself. I like that. Yeah, yeah. The, that sensation of being treated or treating ourselves, that, that's actually a really great way to put it. Because I think for me anyway, when I hear those words, I think about, you know, I mean, literally a smile, I guess, comes across my face when I think about getting to spend just a little extra money for that that sensation of, oh man, I just got the, like the premium experience, the premium exactly. treatment. And you're just trying to deliver that feeling, that sensation, that experience for your clients, again, intentionally. And I bet it translates wonderfully. That's really, really cool. I love that. So talk to me a little bit then about free time. Uh, this is another topic we delve into on the podcast quite a bit. And I'm curious what this looks like for you. Is there a particular idea or principle that has enabled you to be able to effectively manage your business uh, and then also personal life and, and trying to have a bit of freedom amidst all of that? Yeah, definitely. It's one of the places I probably don't do <laughs> as well as I could. Um, but I did um, around 2019, I think the end of 2019 into 2020, decided to stop working on a full day. So Sundays, I don't work at all. No emails, no weddings, no videos, nothing. Um, and that's helped out a great deal to take a whole day. And, you know, I have three kids and a wife, so I want to spend time with them. I like to read. I like to play video games. And that just gives me some sparse time to kind of have a full day for that. I also don't shy away from just walking away from my work when I can. I've been very intentional about having certain days for certain kind of activities. So even as an example, me and my wife, because especially with three kids and both of us working, it's, you know, we don't have as much time to spend together. Yeah. So like Tuesday and Friday nights are going to be for just us. So I'm not going to go play video games. She's not going to do her sewing. It's time for us. So we're very intentional about trying to carve out little buckets like that. That's kind of cool. Okay. So, but you mentioned video games a couple of times. We're going to get to books here in just a little bit, but what's a favorite video game you like to spend time with? Oh, goodness. Um, I'd say anything Final Fantasy or from the company Square Enix. Okay. That's a huge, huge bit for me. 
What, what do you enjoy about that that series of games? They're so they're tactical. So there's a lot of thinking, and they have a usually a large storyline as well. Ah, so it's more like reading a fantasy book rather than just like clicking buttons. Okay, no, that that totally makes sense. I haven't, I've never been a, a big gamer. I've recently started playing FIFA a little bit more actively, nice. <laughs> actually trying to learn it. I can at least beat my son most of the time now, so I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> uh, but I've never really gotten into the fantasy games. It sounds, it seems like the combination of a narrative and something that's challenging mentally would actually be really compelling. Oh yeah, it's, it's like playing a movie, basically. Like, you have to do it, but it also has a deep storyline on it's fun okay okay well then you also mentioned reading so let's let's jump to that talk to me about a favorite book this could be a business book a self-help book that you've read or listened to in the last few years it's made just a massive impact in your life oh yeah um oh goodness so many so i only read self-help books okay um i don't know i'm weird about fantasy books (laughs) i guess i'd rather play a video game than read one but so right now I'm reading The Meaning of Marriage, which is really cool. It just kind of, you know, helps strengthen marriages. Yeah. Um, a couple big ones to uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People was awesome. Yes. I can't remember the name of the book, but it was about basically changing your viewpoint on work hmm. and how work isn't really a bad thing. And I'm dropping the name and I'm so sad I'm forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all. If you think of it, we'll, we'll just, you can... Let me know. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, the Meaning of Marriage is not a book that's come up in the past. How did you hear about this one? So I believe it's written by Tim Keller. Okay. And I've been reading a bunch of his books recently, and it just looked like it was cool. I'm always down to learn about things that I actively partake within mm. my life mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm, you know, just looking at it from all perspectives. I don't like to just approach anything, honestly, with the mindset of like, okay, yeah, I've done it, you know, for five years. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, You can always learn. Life is learning. So I love looking at things from any perspective I can find it from. Life is learning that you could, we could put that on a t-shirt or something. (laughs) What? Okay. So, but I'm, I'm kind of curious though about this because I'm a bit fascinated with learning myself and especially even in the last year or two um, on multiple levels, again, personally and professionally for you, what is so compelling about learning? Ooh, I think it's just growing. I have this, and I I think it's a creative thing and maybe an entrepreneur thing, this constant want of improving on the last thing you did. Mm. Um, Because on top of video creation, photography, I also am a musician. I went to school for music production and sound design. So I've built my life around this kind of process of having an idea, doing the idea, and then having an end result. And so photography is kind of like that too. Like, oh, you know, I want to take photos at this location. You go, you take your photos and you get your end results and you edit. And, you know, when you're done with creative work, at least, or even even practical work, like building a, a building, it's there physically now. You can look at it and say, hmm, now how can I get better than this physical thing I just created? And that's, that's kind of my approach to life, I believe. I just always look at what I did last and try and get better and so on and so forth. I, but I can very much relate to that. So I get it. it I, one of the things I think that confuses me a little bit, I read, I guess, a regularly a regular basis, uh, the, this idea that we shouldn't, it seems popular anyway in culture to, mm-hmm. to say, you know what, don't push yourself too much. Like Growth is a good thing, but also be content with where you're at right now. 
Yeah. Um, and, and I get the thought process. I get the sentiment. But at the same time, I'm like, but I don't like I'm not hurting myself wanting to grow and <laughs> wanting to be better. I don't feel like I'm hurting anybody else in the process either. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts about that so-called balance that we're supposed to have in, in air quotes? <laughs> I think I am a fan of that idea, just hearing it, because I'm a very, I guess you could say down the earth person, but also just as intense. So while I am trying to get better, at least the way I like to believe it is there's no such thing as perfection. So I'm the type of perfectionist that will try his best to get it where it is. But if I can't get past that because limitations in my current skill or knowledge, I'm okay to just finish that work and say, okay, this is what it is and move on from there. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I do think when you're pushing yourself to grow to the detriment of when it doesn't turn out the way you want it to be, then yeah, I would, I would agree with the balance. It's an understanding of I'm in constant growth. So even what I want it to do may not turn out and then just growing from that place. Yeah. I think I try to do too many things maybe at once. I'm, I'm realizing that right now. <laughs> we just got a, so my son's actually studying jazz saxophone at UTK yeah. and he, we, we needed to get a keyboard for my apartment because when he's home from school, he needs to not only be able to, of course, continue to practice the saxophone, but also be able to have time on the keyboard, which is part of his education there. And mm-hmm. so we picked up this really great keyboard and it got me excited about playing piano again. I played a little bit in my past life. And so I ordered a number of books and um, I want to start spending even just, you know, like 20 minutes a day sitting down and doing some basic exercises and then learning how to better sight read than I ever did. And ultimately learning how to play a bit of lounge piano or some jazz piano, potentially accompany my son as well. But um, I'm doing that on top of helping either run or start, you know, at this point, three or four different companies. I'm trying to learn yeah. to be, ride motorcycles better. I'm trying to maintain my health and really push myself in that regard of relationships. I mean, the list just kind of goes on in, in the last, I guess, nine months, seven, eight months or so. I've begun to learn how to, to trade, day t- trade in the stock market. So nice. all these different things that I'm kind of juggling at the same time. And at some point, it seems like maybe the return on investment on so many things maybe isn't as great as really narrowing down and focusing on being good at a few things. But I'm not sure where that, that balance, that line is. What do you think? Yeah, I, I feel that way as well, because I went through that kind of point as well, where I was doing so many things. And what ended up happening is I I ended up focusing on only a couple of things, so again, I went to school for music production. I actually play alto sax too. So that's cool. To oh, no way. Son. Cool. But so, you know, practicing sax and I majored in sound design. So, you know, practicing synthesizing and mixing music. And then I got into photography. So now I'm doing music and photography. And then, you know, you have your video games on the side and other stuff. And it was just so many things. And I'm trying to get back into working out. And so I ended up backing off of a lot of things actually is a random story. I sold most all my music stuff, but I'm just now getting back. And I actually literally just did a purchase before this of like a new MIDI keyboard and a sound oh, wow. and all this stuff. So, because now I'm kind of freed up in my process. Photography has a nice process. Um, YouTube has a nice process. So getting back into music won't be as much as like starting something from scratch. Okay. Yeah, I, I do that as well. <laughs> yeah, so I guess once you get the systems in place, it enables it to streamline what you already do. So there might be room to add something else like you're doing, it looks like now with your music again. Exactly. 
That's cool. Now, what are you wanting to do with the music in the long run? Um, as of right now, I'm just looking to maybe get back into creating albums again or EPs. And I'm actually looking at putting up some music on different online like music outsourcing sites like Artlist or Epidemic Sound. Yeah. So I can possibly open up another stream of passive revenue or quote unquote passive because you still have to plant the seeds basically. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I had one of your videos pulled up today and uh, it's actually the most recent one you put out about how to, to use your time during the off season as a photographer Mm -hmm. and the, the introduction, the introductory music that you had playing the background. I'd love that. But are you thinking about doing some of your own stuff with your videos as well? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, That's the funny thing is a lot of the music that I like to use in my videos is music that I would create and could create. Um, I actually, it's kind of a trend right now. They call it lo-fi hip hop. Yeah. It's like instrumental chill hip hop yep. that it. fits literally. I've been doing that for years, you know, like back when I was in college, back in like 2005 and stuff. So wow. um, I'm like, oh yeah, I can do, I can do this. So now I just need to put some grease on the gears and get it going again. <laughs> yeah, man. That's really exciting. Well, keep us posted too. Maybe we'll, we'll hear some of it on, on your YouTube channel. Uh, which, by the way, for everybody listening in, of course, we're going to link to in the show notes. We're going to get into more information and, and details about how John has created that channel and what it's done for him ultimately. It's pretty exciting. Uh, we'll also link in the show notes at bocapodcast.com to the books that were just mentioned as well. And, um, and the meaning of marriage in particular, that's a new one. How to Win Friends and Influence People has been a really popular one here on the podcast. And for anybody who's looking for some new books to read in the new year, if you go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H, bookshelf.com, our producer Haley has actually put together a, a compilation of the most uh, popular books that have been mentioned here on the podcast in almost 500 episodes. So make sure to go check that out as well. But um, let me jump on to a different question and kind of going a different direction as well here outsourcing, delegation. Is this something that you've experimented with in your business, especially as it relates to time management? Yes, definitely. And it's actually funny enough, something I learned more at Squarespace when I was a manager there. Um, Delegation is probably the thing that I'm the worst at, but I've been getting better about it recently. Hmm. So I haven't done too much outsourcing. I've done a little bit of photo editing outsourcing before, and I'm looking to possibly get into my YouTube video outsourcing, because for the most part, the way I look at it, outsourcing really just frees you up to do something else that could also create more money. Yeah. So it's less of an expense and more of a investment to make more. When it frees you up to get to, to focus on the things that you know you're best at or that you're most important, I guess that are most important for you to be involved in is maybe the best way to put it. But yeah, I can imagine that like having the freedom to just shoot a video in fact, as soon as we get done here, I have to go back. I'd, I'd started shooting some ad content, or not ad content, but video content for our newsletter that's about to go nice. out right before we, we started doing this interview. Didn't quite finish it, so I'll have to go back and finish that after we get done. But um, again, I'm wonderfully privileged to have a, a great team, including our producer and digital marketing head, Haley, who uh, I'll be able to just send that video to when I'm done. She'll edit it, likely convert it to black and white, because that's just a tendency that we have. And, um, you know, maybe stick some music to it and then upload it for use in our newsletter. And it really is nice to be able to do that because then I can ultimately go on to focus on the other things that I need to be putting my time into. It's wonderful to be able to have a a great team to work with when it comes to delegation. You mentioned that you found that you weren't a great delegator. And and 
I, I guess a bit ironically, as somebody who owns an editing company, I have realized that I fall short in various areas in that regard as well, continuing to work at it. What were the biggest weaknesses in that regard for you, John? I think I just have a hard time, especially as kind of a jack of all trades, letting go of certain things because most of the stuff that I could delegate are also things that I'm good at. Um, What I've found is, you know, a lot of times with skill sets in general, I feel that all people can do all things, but obviously some of us are better at certain things. So for instance, if I need to find a deal on like a flight or something I want to purchase, my wife, my wife is way better than I am at that. Um, but I do believe in trying to strengthen those skills on my front so that if I have to do it myself, I do. And I think that's where the disconnect of delegating happens mm. is because then I'm, I'm just gripping it too tight, even though I know that maybe I'm not the best person at it. I just want to have my hands in it still type of thing. Yeah. Well, I think there's something to be said for understanding what it is that you're delegating. I mean, when it comes to editing, for example, one of the things that I've seen over the last, I guess, about 13 years now of helping run photographers edit is that many times photographers get frustrated with that process of trying to delegate or outsource their editing work because they're not actually clear about what it is that they want done. There's this kind of ideal in their head that, hey, I I can just hand the editing over and they'll do quote, what I want, but if they're not clear about what it is that they want, then they won't be able to effectively communicate what it is that they want done. And then there's just this kind of general frustration at the end of the day. And it's not because our editing team isn't capable. It's more because there was a lack of clarity on the part of the photographer and being able to communicate what it is that they wanted. And I've, and again, I don't, this is not preaching because ultimately what I've realized, even working with Haley, for example, um, is that I stood to and still stand to continue to work on improving my understanding of a what it is that I want so that then b I can communicate in a way that resonates with her and not just Haley with the rest of my team as well Uh, this is something that I have to continue to work at and that communication there can be quite a bit of breakdown in that communication process if we're not even clear about what it is that we want to begin with so to your point John understanding the process to begin with having had some experience certainly makes it easier to then ask for something to be done, I think. Exactly. Yeah, I could speak in the terms of the thing I want to be done. Yeah. So instead of just saying like, I want an edit, you know, I could clearly say, generally, I like my contrast around, you know, whatever percentage or so right. on and so forth. Right. Yeah, having having done that, it's a lot easier to communicate it. That, that totally makes sense. Well, I, I want to get to another um, point of conversation here. And I've actually got your Instagram page pulled up uh, in front of me as well. And for anybody listening in, if you're not already following John, uh, go to Instagram, of course, dot com or just on Instagram app. It's J-B-I-V Photography. We'll link to it in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And one of the things that will probably pop up almost immediately as you begin to scroll is that John was just recently announced as a Fujifilm X photographer. This is in the last few months or so, John. Congratulations to you, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, and I'm curious to, to, I mean, this is an incredible opportunity. You're repping a, a really big company, which is super cool. Um, what would you say, though, for the practical purposes of, of this conversation and for our listeners, ultimately, are one or two of the bigger principles that have enabled you, do you feel, to get to this place where a company would be like, hey, you know what, John? We'd love for you to rep our company. So I think a couple of things that kind of stood out, at least I think stood out on my end. I can't 
look at myself that way. <laughs> Being consistent online, I think, helps. Mm. It's you have to start thinking of your Facebook, your Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, whatever, as kind of your resume rather than just a place for posting stuff. Because again, when you're looking at a larger brand, they want to see how you are perceived on the internet. So that's a big thing is that treat all of your social media like a resume, not just random social media. So if there's things that you don't want a brand to see, it's probably something you shouldn't be posting. Sure. And then on top of that, it's just really being into the brand as well. I think brands love, especially like cheerleaders, basically, of yeah. the brand, which I have been for Fujifilm for about like three years now at this point. Um, I think those were the biggest two. And then the third one, which is still something I'm working on myself, is just creating a business sense with brands as well. And what I mean by that is understanding what businesses want from their end understand what they're probably trying to market towards ah, yeah. and how you can fit in line with that. Cause yes. at the end of the day, as an ambassador, you know, that's part of my job as well is to help get their voice across when someone has presented it from my position, basically. Oh, I love that. And that's super considerate. And we're going to actually talk about the significance of adding value here specifically through your YouTube channel in just a bit. But um, I love that you're proactively thinking about that. And, and I can only imagine how valuable that that is to a brand like Fuji. You know, it's some photographers, um, I don't know, maybe they get to a place where a brand picks them up as a rep of some kind, and maybe they get fixated on the fact that, oh, I made it. You know, I, I got to this yeah. place where a company picks me up, and they're just kind of excited about that on a selfish level. And honestly, all of us probably would be, and I don't think there's anything oh, yeah. wrong with that per se. <laughs> But but then it, maybe it stops there. I love that you're being proactive and thinking, okay, how can I add value in a way that makes most sense for the sake of this brand? Um, that's Man, that says a lot about you, and I have a lot of respect for that. You also mentioned <laughs> you. consistency, though, and I'm curious what you mean by this, because I know that we could go a lot of different directions when it comes to consistency. Consist, uh, you know, talk about consistency in photographic style, consistency in voice, and the way that you write copy. Yeah. What are you thinking about when you think about consistency? Well, I'm also thinking of things like confidentiality. So maybe if there's a product coming out or something of that sort, hmm. consistency in, you know, just not leaking all the news and things, consistency with how you approach things, especially and I would include cameras and photography as kind of tech. Um, in the tech world, there's a lot of rumors and, you know, everyone wants to know what the next new thing is. So it's, playing along with the internet in that sense as well, because, you know, I could easily go to like a rumor website about Fuji cameras and see an article. And maybe it's about something that I don't know about yet either. Like the company hasn't told me. And obviously as someone who's into Fujifilm, I would be excited, but I have to be careful with how I approach it or comment on it or like it because as an ambassador, now me going and liking it could make it look like that rumor is true. So that kind of consistency too, which is how you approach everyone else's view of the company. Yeah, consistency and kind of providing a sense of of trustworthiness, it seems like is what, what you're talking about there. And that, yep. 
again, I mean, the, the little bit that I know you, John, we haven't had the opportunity to spend a ton of time together, but the little bit that I know you and that I've, I've seen you online, I, I get that sense of trustworthiness. I mean, I mentioned earlier how consistent your your presentation of your persona, I guess, ultimately has been. And I again, I have so much respect for that because of my experience in the industry. And I think that that probably adds incredible amounts of value. Again, when a company is considering, the Fujifilm in this case specifically, is considering, hey, who should we pick up? Who, What makes most sense for our brand if we're trying to choose from a photographer? Hey, let's get John, because John I know is trustworthy. He's going to be consistent. And and ultimately, the fact that, again, you're looking for ways to add value to the way that they, or that you rep their brand, I think is, that's massive. And and these are really important points, all, all three of these ultimately. Um, and and for those of you listening, if you're curious to to take your career in that direction, maybe get picked up by a brand, consider these these ideas. Um, super, super great. But again, congratulations, John. That, that's got to be exciting. And like you said, Fuji is, this is such a big, it's such a big brand and big company and to be a fan of something and then for them to come along and be like, John, we want you. That, that just had to be super exciting. What, what oh, was the yeah. initial response when you first, did you get an email or a call? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was actually, um, to not make the story too long, but I had applied for their Fujifilm they, they have a three-stage system now where you have to go through all the stages before you can become an ex-photographer. Okay. So I signed up for, I believe it's called a collaborator, which is the lowest tier. And I didn't get it. And Tamaya actually emailed Fujifilm on my behalf. So I had no idea she even did it. Um, and she emailed them with a very much like John Branch is like the number one Fuji guy. That's awesome. <laughs> which helped, I think having someone else also back me up yeah. without it being like a, Hey, can you email them for me more? So just, I really believe in this person so much that I have to tell the company about him. So well, having somebody rep you that way. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because I'm, I'm sure that a brand like Fuji has a lot of photographers that have come to him over the years and, and try to get in as, as a rep of some kind. Yeah. For, for somebody to reach out and say, Hey, you need to check out this guy. That's, that's pretty cool. And I'm assuming that one of the ways that they were able to kind of view your brand online and what you do for the sake of the Fuji brand was and is your YouTube channel. And for everybody listening in, again, we'll link to this in the show notes. But if you go to youtube.com slash J-B-I-V photography, um, you can see John's YouTube channel. Make sure that you subscribe. And um, I have to, well, first of all, John, you're... You've been on, on YouTube with this channel for how long now? Um, technically, if we want to count consistent time, only two years. Wow. So the channel's been up for a while, but that's just because I signed up with the name. Okay. And I think I do have some videos that are maybe three to four years old. Okay. But it wasn't until 2018 that I started really being like, okay, let's do YouTube. <laughs> how many videos do you have on the channel at this point? Do you know? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think I'm just about at a hundred or I must've crossed 100. Okay. And, and you've got over 63,000 subscribers, which is pretty cool. And I have to say too, and I I think I mentioned this to you in person when I saw you were here in Chattanooga for the cookout conference a, a few months ago, but the, the production, and this is probably kind of a geeky thing to say, but the production value of your videos is something that I really appreciate that the presentation is just really clean um, and and nice. And I don't know, it may sound weird to some people listening in, but I, I spend and have spent quite a bit of time on YouTube looking at various channels. And of course, everybody kind of has their own thing, their own style. 
Uh, but I, I like a clean, simple presentation style, especially yeah. when it comes to teaching something, right? If you're distracted by 50 different moving parts and weird graphics and terrible music, and, and of course the list can go on, then <laughs> that can take away from the learning experience. And ultimately you're about adding value. And uh, so I have to give you major props for that too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, 63,000 subscribers. And one of the things um, that that ultimately kind of uh, got us to this point in having this conversation is I reached out the other day again after you posted a video talking about how YouTube saved your business in 2020. And again, we'll link to this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for anybody listening. If you haven't seen this video yet, go watch it in its completion. I, I don't want to give away too much of it. But I will say, uh, at the very least, that in that YouTube video, you mentioned that you generated $145,000 in revenue from your YouTube channel only the second year, which is even more compelling. Really, really exciting stuff. And of course, it, it essentially saved your business during 2020 amidst COVID, right? Yep, definitely. Yeah, without YouTube, on, honestly, too, because again, not to go into it too much, but I'm the only income provider in the house. Yeah. So we would have ended up moving in with my parents if it wasn't for YouTube. Man, that's that's huge. And I, I'm still kind of blown away thinking about it um, and the way that you broke it down. I mean, it's it's really quite compelling and quite interesting for anybody who has not seen this video. Again, go make sure you check it out. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I, I want to... When it comes to this podcast and ultimately making sure that I try to add as much value as possible for our listeners, at the end of the day, I like to focus on big ideas or principles that enable success. Um, I found significant benefit benefit from that myself. And I know in a world where um, it's super easy to you know throw together a piece of content with three quick tips and, and then just leave it at that without any underlying yeah. principles that drive the success that can come from applying them, um, I, I think we're missing out. So I like to focus on principles. That being said, I, I am still a bit of a gear junkie and a little bit of a, a nerd when it comes to tech. And so I do want to get into the gear that you're using for the videos that I just mentioned have such great production value. Can you talk a little bit about the camera and lens setup that you're using? Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm a gearhead too. So I love talking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since I'm a Fujifilm ambassador, you already know most of my gear is Fujifilm. I have a couple of different cameras and the huge advantage I had as a wedding photographer getting into YouTube, and this goes for anyone else who might be a photographer, a wedding photographer, you already have cameras. So that's a great place to start. So I already had two cameras. I use the Fujifilm X-T3. Okay. I also have a Fujifilm X-T4 and an X-T30. They all have about the same look to them, which is what I love. And they use the same lenses. Um, as far as lenses for YouTube, some of the best ones to go with is something wide. Yeah. So one that I use is the 23 millimeter, which Fujifilm is crop sensor. So that's like a 35. Right. Um, that's my main camera. So when I'm ever, whenever I'm doing my A-roll, when it's just me talking, that's a 23 millimeter or 35 equivalent and something longer sometimes helps for B-roll. Um, my favorite lens for that is the 35 F2. Okay. Um, 35 and crop sensor is more like a 50 millimeter. And what would you use that for? You're talking about the B-roll. What kind of things would you be shooting in that case? That's going to be close-ups of things when I'm talking about something. So especially if I'm doing like a product review, Okay. I'll go and I'll just take, you know, a nice little slider shot of whatever it is I'm talking about, if it's a camera or something and a 
couple close-ups and just things to really add to the story. Yeah. And that 23 for, for the kind of first person videos that, that you shoot, um, it really seems to be perfect. I mean, it, it captures you wonderfully, kind of a bust shot, if you will, like stomach, mm-hmm. belly button up or so. But then you've got, it's wide enough that you're seeing background too. So that adds a certain level of interest and it's, it's blurred out a little bit with bokeh, but it really is kind of the perfect, it seems to be the perfect lens for framing that type of shot. Yeah, definitely. So then, so that's camera and lens. And actually with the cameras, X-T3, X-T4, X-T30, and do any of those bodies have a flip around screen? The X-T4 does, but the rest of them do not. Okay. So if you're ever working with, or whenever you're shooting with a camera that doesn't have one of those, how do you set up your shot effectively? Because this has been, that can definitely be a challenge when it comes to video. (laughs) Yeah. When I first started, I used to, um, I would just film for a little bit and sit down where I want it to be and then review it. Okay. Um, What I initially ended up doing after that was getting just a small monitor that I could put on top of the camera. So I could face it towards me and see. Ah. Um, I do love a flip camera, especially, or a flip screen, especially when I'm out and about, let's say at a hotel or just traveling or something. But generally, even with a camera with a flip screen, I like having an additional screen because it's just a little bit larger. You can see better. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I, I think when I first started shooting, trying to shoot some video content, this was years ago, I think I had maybe had an old Nikon body and there was no flip around screen. So you're doing things yeah. like you know, marking the floor with tape and, and yes. measuring things out and trying to make sure you get the right spot uh, for each shot. That got a little annoying. So I ended up getting a camera body that had a flip around screen and it just made all the difference in the world for, for shooting video content, especially on the fly. Yeah, um, I'm actually beginning to experiment with, so I have a, I, I got the iPhone 12 pro max nice. and there is, a, have you ever heard of the, the app Focos, F-O-C-O-S? No. So they, they make a couple of different apps. One, the Focus app is for still photography. And even for somebody who doesn't have portrait mode built into their camera, you can add the effect after the, after the fact. Um, beautiful. I mean, and super technical too. It's really, really compelling. But then they also released a video version, which is, again, incre- I mean, the technology is incredible. And I don't know how more people don't know about the app and aren't talking about it. But uh, I was actually just shooting with that again w- right before our interview today for this yeah. video for the newsletter, and the the little bit of footage that I already got it just looks amazing. I mean, the, the bokeh that it's creating in the background, just shooting with my iPhone, um, is is beautiful. So I'll just throw that out there as a bonus information. You got to check it out too at some point, John. Just for oh yeah, definitely. just for playing around if if nothing else. But um, it really is helpful to be able to see that on the screen, but let's get to, to lighting because again, super consistent that the lighting that you have, especially for those first person shots where you're, I, I say first person shots, what, what do you reference them as? Uh, I would just call that a roll a roll. Okay. So where you're talking directly to the camera, it's a really nice, even soft light. What's your lighting setup for that? So generally I'm actually working mainly off of natural light. Um, in the office I had before the space I'm in now, the windows were facing me. So I did fully 100% natural light. Okay. Now what I'm doing is it's kind of partial natural light and also um, some artificial light. So I have two little, I think they're called Generae LED lights, which I use as bounce flash. And that's another thing for any photographers. Everything you already know about flash, you can apply to consistent led as well Mm, okay so i have all the leds basically pointed at the wall slash ceiling Ah. 
filling the room with some additional light coming towards me since I have the windows kind of to my side yep. and behind me. Yep. And I have one more light. It's a Godox SL60W, I believe. Okay. And that has a mag box on it. So that's the soft box that MagMod makes. And I have that pointed at me to fill me in a little bit since, again, I have the windows kind of basically behind me. Yep. Well, I have to say that the result is is beautiful. Though. I mean, again, it's it's super even. I, I don't get the sense that you know you're shooting light at yourself or anywhere else in the room. Really, it's it's just very very evenly lit, and it produces that. Are, are you a bit of a minimalist, by the way? Yeah, and honestly, I I'm not a big fan of artificial light either. So that's yeah. why it looks like that. I try to make it look as real as possible. Yeah, well, that, that's why when I said earlier, it, it, the videos come across just super clean. I guess that's it, you've created this very clean kind of minimalist style with the videos and the lighting is part of that it just looks really really great so of course we'll link to all those lights that john just mentioned in the show notes for those of you listening in want a point of reference um, and then talk to me about audio as well what, what are you using for the audio setup oh yeah i use mainly rode microphones yes um i have a bunch of them and they make really cool just like cheap nice mics um but i ended up getting one and i'm forgetting the model number which I can email that to you. Awesome. But it's it's a shotgun mic and it's also an audio interface mic. So kind of like a Blue Yeti or anything you can connect to your computer through USB. Okay. It does both. So it does normal audio and you can connect it to your camera. Oh. Or you can connect it to your computer USB, which is great for doing any overdub audio. Yeah. Because it'll sound the same as when I record it on camera, which I absolutely love. I, having nice audio really makes all the difference in the world. When I've listened to podcasts, for example, um, it, it can be a bit distracting when you have somebody who's got bad audio. And mm-hmm. and so you want to take away any potential distractions. You we were talking about distractions earlier in the context of video, but with audio as well, taking away any potential distractions with audio can help improve the listening experience. Um, John, what you're actually hearing from me right now is just audio through my MacBook Pro mic. What I'm actually recording into is a little $70 Audio-Technica mic, and that's going into a Zoom H6. And it's a relatively inexpensive setup, but it's made a really big difference in providing good audio quality uh, for the podcast episodes. But for video, in the past, I've used the the Rode VideoMic Pro. You familiar with that? Yep. Yeah, so that's, of course, specific to a camera. This idea of having a mic that would work with both the camera and also my computer, that sounds even more compelling. Oh, yeah. it's it's a After I've got purchased it, it's a, it's a must-have. Okay. Well, we'll have to get that, and, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well, bocapodcast.com. Shout out to Haley, who produces the show for us and puts together all that information. But let's keep moving, because we have more to talk about here. I mean, Google, uh, Gear is, is super cool, and I enjoy it. And we've <laughs> talked about it here in the podcast at various points. But I do want to get into kind of the principles that have driven your success on YouTube. And again, I don't want to give away all the content from this video that you put out, but one of the things you talked about in the video that I think is super relevant to our conversation today and just ultimately who you are, John, and that is the significance of genuineness. We alluded to it earlier, but I wonder if we can start just with a definition. How do you define this idea of genuineness? Hmm, It's really just being open to helping others like they were yourself basically. Hmm. And I know that sounds kind of simple, but it's kind of on the same stuff we talked about earlier with treating yourself and giving that same experience to your clients. 
Well, it's it's ultimately. I, it, this actually reminds me of something that my I've had conversation even recently with my son. I, I sent him a quick text message yesterday about this idea and and something ultimately that I know I need to continue to work at, which is. Uh, and, and I guess I'll add another reference, which uh, my friend Sean Austin, who's been on, on the podcast mm-hmm. a number of times, um, he's talked about this. And it's just, it's really stuck in my head. And it's been something that uh, not only I've, I've been working on, but want to continue to do so. And that's the idea of really ultimately just being aware of the experience of the person on the other side of you. What What is it like to be on the other side of Nathan Holritz? What does that yeah. actually feel like? What does it look like? What does it sound like? And, um, you know, having kids, you probably know this, John, I have two kids, one is 18, the other is 15. And there have been certain behaviors by my kids, which have really thrown the spotlight back on me. I realized, oh, man, I see this thing that they're doing. And I'm like, oh, shoot, you know, I, I wonder how much of that is them kind of picking up on behavior by me, I need to go fix that. Have you had that experience yourself being a dad? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Having kids is like taking a mirror and reevaluating your whole life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I mean, it, it could be humbling, but it can also, of course, ultimately be just a really great learning experience. And yep. so I, I've been able to, to work on that myself, but also give feedback to my son and, and, and say, Hey, think about this, you know, what is it creating a, an experience for the person on the other side of you creating really a, a positive experience, one that helps them feel good. You want to make that person feel good having had an interaction with you. And I certainly want to bring that to, to my interactions with other people. Has there been a particular experience, negative or positive, maybe both, uh, that you've had that has just really highlighted this in your life and, and ultimately led you to work so hard at it? I don't know if there's experiences that I would say that made me do it more. Okay. But there are experiences that I've had that just, I guess, solidify doing that in in my life. Okay, they they just really reinforced it for me to say, you know what, this is this is the right way. It's good to treat people like this. Yeah, a couple stories that come to mind. <laughs> so one was when I used to work at Apple as you know, like a store employee, and I had this older lady come in to the store. Um, she couldn't really speak English too well. And she had a gift card and I believe she was trying to buy something, but she had no idea what an Apple store even was. I think her insurance gave her the Apple gift card. Okay. Like one of those kind of things where like, oh, because of your insurance and you get a gift. Yay. Yeah. And so I tried, you know, to help her buy something that she might want. But again, she like nothing she had had anything to do with Apple products. I asked the manager, could we return the gift card and give her cash or something of that sort? And, you know, they were just like, no, we can't do that. So I ended up actually just buying the gift card from her. Like we literally walked outside of the store and out of my own pocket, I purchased it from her. Cause I just, again, it's, it's about treating others like you would want to be treated Yeah, and just really like you were saying, like, what is the experience this other person is having? What, what am I giving to them? Wow. So just in that whole situation, the best option I felt like for her was to be able to get something from it. So yeah, I kind of took it into my own hands because <laughs> wow. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't let it in like that. Man, that's next level stuff. What was her response? Oh, she was, she was extremely happy. Um, and I think she had like her granddaughter or somebody was with her. 
And they were both kind of mind blown. Cause yeah, I probably could have gotten fired for that, but <laughs> that's how much I really just, I, I couldn't. And that's kind of how I approach anyone too. I just really love to help. I want us all to be able to get the best of what we're trying to do. A- another story real quick, kind of like that as well is I was at some workshop. I can't remember what it was, but I was at a workshop. So, you know, I'm like, I'm staying in a hotel and trying to keep up with my normal work and FaceTime with the family. Yeah. And someone from my YouTube channel had just recently signed up for HoneyBook and he was having a hard time with it. And he had messaged me on Instagram and I literally FaceTimed him right then and there. And he was just like mind blown. Like, how is it that you have all these subscribers and you just FaceTimed me to like wow. walk me through this one step? So <laughs> those are things that, again, and yes, it's stuff that I've done, but I think they help solidify to me that it's it's a great thing to do and it helps others. And most people are very appreciative of it. And, you know, basically, I just want to love on people. <laughs> That's, But it's so good. And, and you're right. It, c- it can come across as simplistic or even cliche, but it, it's not cliche any longer when you actually do the thing. And it, it just sounds like you actually live it. It looks like you actually live it. Were, your, were either of your parents super empathetic in this way that like, you learned from their example? I believe so, but I don't have too many examples of it. I know my mom definitely is, and she's always out there helping others. Huh. Um, my dad's had a couple of experiences that I've seen be like that as well. So that probably did, because especially, you know, we grow up and there's only but so many things we remember. Sure. But the things we do remember obviously made a huge impression. So I do remember a couple of times where my dad like went way out his way for somebody. Hmm. Ah, wow. man, this is genuinely, I mean, just super inspirational. And, and um, I was getting goosebumps as we we're talking and just kind of, it, it's, it, it really is something that for everybody listening and for myself that we can all take. And even if it's just something little that we can go do today, whether it's the way that we you know, send a text message or say something on a phone or send a Slack message or an email, whatever it is that, we just think about how can I, when was the last time that I felt really good interacting with someone or with a brand and how can I take some of that and give that to somebody else interacting with me? It's not overly complicated to do and and it doesn't even take that much effort if we just do it, the smiles that we can generate as a result, uh, just exactly. so, so worth it. That's really good. Okay, well, I, I've got one other kind of Big question for you, John, before we finish up here. When it comes to, I mean, there are a few YouTubers, shall we say, on the <laughs> on that platform. I mean, you know, being on YouTube is not a new concept. You got into a really crowded space. And just in general, I mean, there's a ton of free photographic content out there, educational content out there. Yeah. Um, so you were pretty brave to jump into the middle of that, but it's it's obviously panned out. In my mind, one of the best ways that we can actually stand out is to, to, to bring content of substance. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's a, a you know, kind of typical thing to be on social media in particular and just get these little kind of snack-sized bits of information mm-hmm. that are easy to consume and then you keep going and it's probably not super compelling and you're likely not going to actually go do something with it. I think it's another thing to actually bring truly valuable content and that it is actionable, it's practical. And so I'm curious what you do when you're creating your content to make sure that you're genuinely helpful to your audience. 
Yeah. So a couple of things, first off, especially just with being genuine is making sure that I teach things or share things from a real world perspective. There's a lot of teaching out there currently that's more so based off of maybe numbers or the gear alone or things you can learn out of a book. But I like to keep things in a real world sense. So again, you can read a book about how to ride a bike, but until you experience what it feels like to keep your balance while you're riding and pedaling, you will never know. So I try my best, again, using that analogy, to really, really teach from the experience of quote unquote riding the bike. Mm. Um, I think that helps a huge amount. And then something else I like to do, and this is also kind of a YouTube tip, but it also helps be genuine is that I try to find things that are within a niche or niche. I say niche, (laughs) but that aren't talked about as much. Yes. So instead of just focusing, well, a great example of what I did, and this kind of kickstarted my YouTube. So instead of just focusing on photography or just focusing on iPads, I did a video on how to edit in Lightroom on an iPad. Okay. There's not many people talking about that. So because of that, and as a person who actually uses Lightroom and uses it on an iPad, now I'm adding a huge amount of value in a place that most people don't think about. Everyone tries to hit the subjects that everyone else already talks about, which is great, but you want to find the area that's basically neglected within your own niche. Yes, that's absolutely it. I mean, and that's why we talk about brand position so much on the podcast is there's so many photography businesses popping up and understandably so it's a lot easier to get into the industry now. But if you're, if we're all just kind of doing the same thing, including by the way, you know, photographers talk about having a unique editing style or unique style, but they're all buying the same presets. So <laughs> yeah. um, we're, we're getting into the same space that there are hundreds or thousands of other photographers already in. We're shooting the same way. We have the same editing style. How are we going to actually stand out amongst the noise? And, and I love this idea of going somewhere that most aren't. That's where we should be going. It's easy to follow suit and do the thing that, you know, our favorite photographer does or do whatever is trendy at the moment. But what we should be doing is looking for a niche in the market that hasn't been filled, a hole that hasn't been filled, a hill that nobody else is standing on and owning. That's where we need to go. And that really will make a big difference. Uh, That's huge. And then you said teaching from a real world experience or from personal experience. um, It really is easy to talk. Um, It's another thing to do. Yeah. Being able to speak from experience, having actually done the thing really makes all the difference in the world. Um, you know, we take the kind of the potential hypocrisy element out of it as well, but then you can also speak from a very practical level as opposed to just idealistically. Exactly. That's huge. That's huge. Well, man, I, I really appreciate your, your perspective and really, I just appreciate your heart and it's, it really is compelling and inspirational and encouraging. I'm definitely going to walk away from this on, on a bit of a high and ready to, to, to go behave differently, genuinely. I mean, seriously, this is really compelling for me, and I hope it's been for our listeners as well. Will you just kind of close us out by reminding our listeners where they can find and follow all that you're doing online? Yes, I would say the most places I am active are Instagram and YouTube and my website, 
which basically all of them are just at JBIV Photography or jbivphotography.com at jbiv photography for Instagram and YouTube. Perfect. And we'll put all these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Um, it, it's funny, actually, I, I mentioned presets earlier and I forgot the fact that you actually sell some presets. We, we talked about doing something that's different. Um, how can photographers learn about your presets so they're not just buying the same ones that everybody else is? Yeah, definitely. So I talk about it a lot on my YouTube, but it's also on my website down at the very bottom. There's a preset store link. And funny enough, talking about being genuine and natural, the name of my preset is Natural Feels because I like everything to kind of look natural to life. Yeah. Well, and I mean, just scrolling through your Instagram feed too, I, it's it's got a... It's interesting because there's such a wide variety of photography there. You're not shooting all the same stuff or all exactly the same style, framing everything the exact same way. But there is a consistency to the images. And I can imagine you're you're using your presets in a lot of that. Yep. And that's another not to <laughs> go on too long, but the genuineness of the preset too is the preset I sell is actually literally the preset I use. Yeah. Like I share my style with others because, again, I just want to give it away to help everyone, basically. Wow, that's cool. All right. Well, we'll put all this information in the show notes, bookofpodcast.com. Thanks once again, John. This has been super compelling conversation. Thank you. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Book of Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.